I'd like to welcome uh, Derek Bodhi for uh, to Harmonics uh, podcast. Welcome, uh, Derek. It's great to see you. Uh, it's really a pleasure to have you on our show today, and uh, I'll be asking you some questions. How are you, and how are things going um, with what's going on in Alameda County with um, the Alameda County workers? You're a frontline worker. You're also involved with uh, SEIU 10 to 1. Uh, well, you know, it's, it's been a lot of challenges going on at AHS and everything. So I've been an employee at Alameda Health System Highland Hospital for 21 years, uh, working in the environmental services area, which is the housekeeping department. Um, our job is to make sure that the facility is clean and protected from COVID and any other kind of viruses or diseases to make sure that our patients that come and go are safely protected. Um, we're just dealing with the challenges right now as far as trying to make sure that this administration is held accountable and making sure that the staff has the resources and a contract that we can depend on as employees to make sure that we're taking care of our families and our well-being and be able to put those kind of concerns to the side and focus strictly on dealing with our patients and representing this community. How many people do you actually represent in um, all of Alameda County, D? Um, and I, I know that you guys will be, you're getting organized right now and there's a possible strike. So tell me what's going on there. Uh, well, we rep, well, well, we represent at least 2,800, close to 3,000 from Highland Hospital, John George uh, Psychiatric Facility, Fairmont Hospital, San Leandro Hospital. We even have employees at Alameda Hospital. We got some outside clinics, Newark Clinic, Eastmont Clinic. And uh, right now, the administration up there has um, a disregard for essential workers. Um, they're not putting their workers fr in the front lead and supporting them with the resources that we need to combat this uh, COVID-19 virus situation and making sure that our, you know, that our staff is, is, is safe and being able to, to do their jobs productively. Um, right now, we're in a battle with our contract with them. Uh, we're looking forward to potentially going on strike with them probably possibly another week or so. And it's been very challenging because this leadership at Alameda Health System is incompetent. And we keep figuring out for some reason to put um, outside subcontracting companies up in here that doesn't represent the communities and doesn't have a stake in making sure that the dedication and the sacrifices are giving. So we have a lot of robberies that's going on inside of there as far as the administration only taking from the workers, mismanaging the budget, and then putting the workers on the front line for layoffs and cuts. And how is it that SEIU 10 to 1, what is the leadership doing for you and how is it uh, getting organized and getting all the unity and getting everything ready for a possible strike? Oh, well, we got the total support of our local. Like you said, I'm an executive board officer for SEIU 1021. So we have the support of the local. They're organizing our membership, getting our membership informed on exactly what the challenges are and how it's putting the workers in a, um, a very, uh, how can I say it, a very dissatisfying situation right now because um, the employer is not protecting the workers. So it makes it very challenging for us as workers to make sure that this community is supported. So it, it's been a big challenge, Gregory, a very big one. So are you getting your PPE and all of that? You still, you guys all have that under control? Or, I mean, or how are they, how they supplying all your workers? Uh, well, right now we do have 
some some sort of resources and supplies we need, but there's no consistency there. You know, we have to go to other areas and locations like material management, the supply area, and actually sign up for masses and, and PPEs and stuff. It's not plentiful like it, it previously was. So it's a challenge still on, on making sure that we have the resources that we need to make sure that the staff is protected in there. Um, like I say, the administration there is, is, is incompetent of leadership there. And we don't believe that their main focus is making sure that they're, you know, because they have a slogan that they want to be the number one provider of health care, you know, for that community. And by us being the number one trauma unit in Northern California, we most definitely understand that they're not holding up their end of, uh, of the deal to make sure that we are being put in a position to supply our communities with the demand that they need as far as health care on a consistent basis. Hmm. So, Derek, you are uh, one of the most outspoken persons in all of uh, Northern California, and you're very passionate about this uh, whole pandemic, what's going on. Why is it that the administration is like this? They almost treat you like second-class citizens. Why is that? It's just because they're ignorant, or what's the uh, well, we Well, we won't give them the benefit of the doubt of them being, you know, incompetent or ignorant in that aspect. What we'll say is that they're not people from this community and this environment. And that's what it seems like the, the board of trustees always do is go seek out individuals that doesn't have a stake in that community. And that's what we want. That's why we're looking for the board of supervisors to come back and take over this medical facility. And we have an agreement that is headed into that direction. Whenever you hire outside resources, the commitment to the community and the commitment to the workers are, are a lack there because yes. they only look at the proceeds and the income and how to fatten their own pockets. Mm -hmm. And they're not looking at exactly what the obligations are to that community and to the workers that are serving that community. So we, we've always had that disconnect there ever since the Board of Supervisors in the County of Alameda had left from that medical facility and allowed the Board of Trustees to operate it. And like I said, they're picking individuals that don't have a stake in the community. So they don't understand the, 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 the value and the importance of making sure that, you know, that we continue supplying these resources and this health care to this community on a consistent basis. Do you as yourself as a, a, a leader and an outspoken one and have been on all the major television networks uh, in the East Bay, do you feel that you're getting retaliated and your members are getting are the members are getting retaliated also? Of course, there's an intimidation factor because, you know, no one wants to hear you speak the truth about things that they are trying to hide. So that pushback of thinking that they're going to intimidate workers has always been, you know, their front line of defense instead of going on and making sure that the business ahead of us is being instituted correctly. So the intimidation factors, we don't lost workers because they speak up to some of the challenges that are going up in there by not having resources and having the supplies that it takes to impact this community on a positive level as far as healthcare vitality giving to, to each and every individual in this community and outside of our community that we serve. And to know that that's the recourse that they would take is to think that they're going to silence individuals when we're not going for that because we are this community and we want to make sure that this community is getting the resources that they are needing. And like I said, by that lack of commitment based on individuals not being from here, whether they're from Texas or other locations and looking at this as a cash cow instead of looking at this as, as you know, ways of helping during these times of a pandemic healthcare crisis right now. Um, they're just 
out the people for this job. And they've been there for quite a while now. And like I said, this is always a repeated process that has always transpired. Whichever administration that they hire to come up in here, it's always that repeated process of mismanaging the budgets in each and every department and then thinking that the recourse to that is to let go of the, the dedicated humanitarian workers that supply this, this work and this services to the community. What is your vision of of that could change that process? What is the vision that you think that it would become better for all workers? What is the vision for you or as a group, as of thousands of members? What did they, what does it really need to happen to make it good for all as best they can? Well, Greg, well, Greg you already know, and, and I'm pretty sure you heard when we were younger in age and in our times that county jobs were guaranteed dedicated jobs. Yes. They were jobs that were invested into the actual employee. And when you had a dedicated job, that was the last things that you had to worry about is how do you know we make sure that we're able to be stable and take care of our families and be productive within our work location. Um, that is not, that's not given. Right now, what would make us secure and keep us viable is making sure that the board of supervisors, the county of Alameda, come back in with their leadership and implement their promotions and their dedication to the workers that are actually there. Mm -hmm. So instead of hiring outside supervisors, outside directors and managers that come in with, um, with a service company, you can invest in the employees that already have the experience and that are tied into this community and, and, and developing that relationship correctly, mm -hmm. you know, and having that real ongoing support that consistently works for the community, works for the hospital and works for the workers. Right now, that's what we're not seeing, but that's what our hope and our, and our vision is, is that we get this board of supervisors on board with their leadership. That way the budgets and everything can be produced and they can manufacture into investments into the employees on a consistent basis and build up that continuity the way that it really needs to be built and have more trust. And that trust will lead into, you know, more dedication and, and, and workers prevailing and, and being able to do their jobs on a consistent basis and not having to worry about within the next two years when you do get a contract from these outside sources that next two years after that, that you'll be on a chopping line to lose your job. So we're looking for the board of supervisors to take leadership. So as you know, there are going to be an election for some of the supervisors uh, coming up on November 3rd. Have you guys endorsed any of these or have talked to any of the candidates that are going to be supervisors possibly in the future? Have you endorsed anybody or even well, talked to any of them? I'm sorry about that. Well, um, in actuality, it, there is a lot of city councilmen and a lot of people that we uh, are supporting, like Carol Fife and a bunch of others that we have been supportive of. But right now, our challenge is 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 to get people to put their put their actions and their voices into our votes and support that we give to these candidates. Mm -hmm. So right now, we're we're really focused on making sure that we fix our infrastructure correctly and allow the politicians and them to play the roles that we need to put them in the positions to play those roles mm -hmm. right now. But for right now, it's really us as the members and, and the workers that are on the front line for this community. Yes. And we want individuals that feel the same way that we feel. 
Right now, there are candidates that we do support in those aspects, but it's really about supporting ourselves as the workers and everything. Because, you know, we've done seen a lot of politicians, yes. you know, just like you always say with the orange guy in the White House and everything. Yes, so, nice. you know, uh, voting matters. But at the same time, I think the leadership with inside of ourselves and with inside of our communities and our institutions are the ones that we need to start recognizing mm-hmm. and understanding, because those are the voices that really don't be getting heard. When we do elect these politicians, you know, hey, it's all good when we first start the conversations and we're supporting their endorsements in their campaigns. But once they get in there, you know, for some reason, they flip over to the system. And the system doesn't work for us as a people on a consistent basis. So it's really about us believing in ourselves Mm -hmm. and knowing what it is that we need to push in a direction and then bring them on board and then allow them to understand exactly what we need as far as resources to be able to do our jobs and to keep uplifting this community in the right aspect. I understand that. And you're you're absolutely correct. So, you know, Let's change the subject a little bit. Just and say, let's go a little bit nationally, and also what's happening in Oakland or in every major uh, city in the United States. Black Lives Matter, as we know, we've been doing this. You and I have been doing this for years. As a black man, what do you see? What is actually going on? And it's the, the terrorism that is going on. What do you feel as a black man, and as a father, and as an activist in our communities? What do you see right now in all of this? The landscape. Well, you, you know, that that's funny that you, you bring it in the way that you just brought that to, to, to my attention in that way, Greg. I see the challenges. I see the challenges on a consistent basis for people of color. And right now we're working on a lot of police reforms and a lot of working towards defunding the police and so forth. And so on, the police is only one small piece of that puzzle. You know, racism is it's an in-depth process and it's a mental aspect, I believe, of how people really think of a privileged situation or how people just feel non-privileged in a a certain situation. Um, The challenge of what's going on in our communities right now, what's going on with our government, the belief that our government is not taking lives serious on all aspects. I think the challenge of not having full health care, you know, giving to everybody of all colors, of all creeds, of all nationalities, of all races, is a, a challenge that I believe is instituted by the leadership within this government. And I think that they want to kind of camouflage things to kind of have you distracted to point towards only one, you know, one possible thing that you believe is to change. I don't believe that, you know, the police, I believe that they're one part of that destructional process that constantly, you know, patrols the communities that are underprivileged and that are unemployed, that are really dealing with the impact of the COVID-19 and the racism and the, and, and the jobs, not, not being productive enough. And, and it's just, it's, it's such a big overwhelming picture of a fight that we're all into in, in, in this fight for change to where we can't look at one aspect of it. We have to look at the bigger picture. And I believe the accountability of holding the people that are really in charge of how this, you know, how the United States really operates. Those are the people that we're supposed to have on the front line to be understanding the challenges that we're dealing with, like the Breonna Taylor and the murders mm-hmm. and all of the things that are going on right now with people of color. Um, that's been going on for, I'll say, for probably over close to 500 and something years. That's right. So we've recognized that aspect. But I don't believe that we're we're recognizing the bigger picture of the accountability of knowing that our government is the ones that's leading 
in this unjustly way on a consistent basis and marginalizing people of color or marginalizing people that are not living in the wealthy aspects and and, and high tax paying people that are the working people every day. Um, I just think that all of us are collectively being oppressed and swept under the rug. So the Black Lives Matter thing is is a big, important process to us, especially me being a father of two daughters that go to college and, and having nephews and cousins that are out here that are intimidated or threatened by police activities on a consistent basis and watching this constantly grow and not seeing it decrease in any kind of way. So we're being suffocated with COVID-19 and racism for, you know, for an unprecedented time right now. Um, and the only thing that I believe that will combat any of that or bring forth change is us collectively not giving up, us collectively protesting in these streets on a positive message and making sure that our message get heard. You know, I understand the anger and everything that transpires out of the rioting and the looting, and I understand it. Do I condone it? No. At the same time, I, I understand it, though, that people have been lacking the resources that they've been needing to provide for their families for so long mm -hmm. to where, you know, that outcry of anger does mm -hmm. come out. You know, um, I'm the type of person that 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 really believes that, you know, doing the right thing is the correct thing. But also understand that the right thing can also be a passive way in going about stuff. Also, when you're waiting on somebody to see things differently from their lenses when we're constantly seeing the same thing always from ours. So mm -hmm. it's, it's just been a big challenge, but um, our local has been on board. A lot of us working with a lot of these outside community organizations, a lot of other unions and everything. So we're fighting the fight. The challenge is gonna consistently be there until we can really reach the core of the problem. But right now, I think that our challenge is making sure that we get the orange guy out of the White House. Yes. <laughs> alleviate his 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 administration and get and get another administration in there that really is going to understand exactly what needs to happen and when it needs to happen is like right now so we've got a lot going on every day is there's something on television right we see somebody we see somebody get shot we see these officers that are just kind of like what just happened just recently what we watched on tv with rihanna they're they're not being accused and it, it, it's really, to, to me, looking at it, it's disgraceful that these guys are getting away with this. Um, I think they should all be, you know, not having a job. So what do you feel like when you see that and you see all, how this has been going on for over 500 years, you know that, um, what do you think that, why aren't the courts more, and we just lost a great, you know, Supreme Court justice, um, who was for a lot of things and had and really actually foretold about this election that's coming at, and we lost John Lewis and you know and all these people. What do you think? Do you do you see any other great personalities that are going to come to the forefront? You see the NBA, you see sports, um, you know, like Muhammad Ali back in the day and, and Jim Brown and Bill Russell, Kareem. All these gentlemen, all these men, strong black men came, uh, you know, came out. Do you see that possibly coming out? Maybe that we could get this all under control of some way, whatever that may be under control. But 
we need more people to be more voiceless. We got to get into good trouble. And um, you know what I mean? And I, I, I like what you said about, I don't agree with either the violence that goes on. And I don't want to see no more people get shot either. You know that, so. Of course, of course, of course. Um, well, the juridical system, you already know no one believes in that, Greg. Mm -hmm. I think that, I think the juridical system has already lost their, uh, uh, their accountability or their credibility a long time ago. Mm -hmm. um, me personally, I don't never believe that uh, police that do these these um, inhibited acts towards the community and mm -hmm. towards people of color or anyone mm -hmm. um, are really getting to be held accountable because how do you ask the same jurisdictional system that brings in these criminals that they want to proclaim to be criminals through the police system and, and, and utilizing them to be judged by the same system that judges, you know, you want them to judge the police officers also. I think that that doesn't make sense straight off the top. I think that there needs to be a whole different justice system strictly for, for cops that violate the rights, uh, the constitutional rights of, of, of the people. Right. Um, to ask a, a police officer that already has a relationship with the district attorney and helping the district attorney keep a job by constantly going out there and nabbing people for, for crimes. Now, all of a sudden, to have that same district attorney, uh, U.S. attorney, to charge those officers with the crimes that they commit, I think that that's actually a backwards process. Mm -hmm. You know, just the same way that the military has their own laws and, and, and own, you know, uh, uh, bylaws that they go by as mm -hmm. far as holding accountability to those type of violations. I think that that needs to be instituted out here also, because I think that that's already a biased situation mm -hmm. that they're not going to hold them accountable mm -hmm. in that process. Um, do I ever believe any of that will change? Uh, we have to think that things will change. Yes. That's the whole part of our fight is mm -hmm. to is believe that we can bring forth change. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, as you know, when you look back in our history, uh, Slave codes. You know how that was. They came over on the Middle Passage, they got on the plantation, and then they go to the grave. Right? Today we have a different thing. We have unemployment. They go to prison and then they die. It's almost like you know the the similarities are so uh, so still still going on as we know it 500 years ago. Uh, look at Vallejo. Vallejo Police Department, 19 something deaths. You know, still shooting. They're shooting through windshields. I mean, it's it's so bizarre. It's almost like it's watching a bad movie. Um, brown people, white people, yellow, red. Let's not forget our Indians. All you know, the indigenous of people course. in our. Of course. They're marching more. We're more diverse. You, you got to realize that's that's a shining thing. As we when we seen the old black and whites of Martin holding arms and with all the, but now. There's all kinds of layers of middle class, upper class, and poor marching the streets now. I think that is a good sign. I think that that, that should be, we've got to have some more demonstrations. Is SEIU, are they going to do any kind of demonstration or videos or anything like that? Is the union talking about doing anything like that? Because you know that uh, our day and age, we could actually get more people if we were on like what we're doing right now to get the uh, word yeah out. well the local the local has a lot of a racial um justice programs that are going on um a lot of programs that 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 we're dealing with on a consistent basis 
um, like me, being the chair of social and economic justice, which is an entity under SEIU 1021, that's our job is mm-hmm. to make sure that we're understanding the injustices that are going on in the communities and all around our world. Mm-hmm. Um, so our local is totally on board with putting that vision out there, giving a platform to our members to be able to have a voice and, mm-hmm. and not just sit on the couch like you were saying, Greg, and watch the news, but can actually get involved mm-hmm. and have something to say pertaining to change. Mm-hmm. And I think that these are the steps in that direction. You know, everything isn't going to be perfect, mm-hmm. but at the same time, as long as those efforts are there, I think that that's the direction that we're headed in mm-hmm. and that we're trying to be consistent in. Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, our public schools at this particular time? Because I'm involved, as you know, I'm in school industry and you are also, uh, you know, and I'm the executive. But what do you think about the online situation that is going on uh, in high schools, you know, grammar schools, colleges? What do you think that that might be the way of the future or what do you think about that? Do you think that uh, I don't really think that the educational system, especially in high schools in the inner city, were really properly prepared? I, I just don't believe that, that they were ready for this. I don't think anybody was of the pandemic. Um, well, I, I think that uh, the, the, the school systems has already failed us. I, I, I just believe that they've already failed in the aspect because I believe that teachers should be like one of the highest paid employees, you know, in, yes. in our in our system, period. And I don't believe that they're getting the support that they need. And it makes it real challenging in those aspects. Like right now they're talking about and they have been removing the police you know, officers out of the schools. And, and I, I understand that mm-hmm. aspect. But at the same time, we also understand the impact of gangs in schools. We also understand the impact of bullying in those schools. So at times I do believe that you do need a visual sense of, of, of authority to be around, to be able to you know, navigate your way through things that mm-hmm. may not be correct at times. But um, I think the main focus needs to be investing in the teachers mm-hmm. and making sure that the teachers can do their jobs, especially due to what this COVID situation is that's going on right now where they want to, you know. Impact on how many kids participate actually in school. Yeah, we got you. you. Know? We got you. Yeah. How many kids that actually um, participate in school? So now you're asking the teachers to do more hours of work, right. take on more, you know, more, you know, more productivity. You're not, you know, you're not making sure that they're taken care of at the same time. And I think that that's the biggest challenge is making sure that you're able to support the people that are really there to educate our youth. And really there to make sure that our youth can make a positive impact in society as they grow and become more developed and understanding exactly what's going on and properly preparing them for colleges. Yes. And I think that right now that system is just like us as working people through labor is taking a hit, mm-hmm. you know, and they're not getting the support that they're needing also. So that's why we're on the front line supporting the teachers and working with the teachers unions to make sure that we can push forth all of us collectively together and not leave anyone behind. Because I think that all these infrastructures are needed. Change is needed within them. And our children, that, that's gonna, that's our wave of the future. So we have to make sure that they're educated and that they're properly prepared. And who better to do that than our teachers? Yes, it is. So, Derek, I really loved having you on our show today. We're going to have you come back. 
We're going to be, you know, do a review probably in about six months, see how things are going. God bless you. Stay healthy. Stay safe. And I'll be seeing you at some union meetings in the future, my brother. So God bless you. Of course. Of course. You know, I appreciate you and I love you, my brother. And I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.